Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And uh, in this episode, I'm going to talk about the outbreak of war between China and Japan in 1937. Um, and it was a, a moment uh, that was, in some ways, in the hands of um, Chiang Kai-shek, of Sino-Japanese relations on the encroachment that Japan had made into Manchuria and the pressure that Japan was putting uh, for further territorial gain and Chiang Kai-shek's view ultimately was that war would come sooner or later and that finally uh, uh, China must make a stand Chang looked at the the world situation, he looked at the civil war in Spain, he looked at Mussolini's um, ability to ignore the League of Nations and wage his war in Abyssinia. And he swiftly drew the conclusion that whatever stand that China took would be done alone, that there would be no international intervention to help China that uh, this, the, uh, the League of Nations would be no use and that Britain and France would do, would do nothing, even though they had some of the biggest colonial um, liabilities, uh, mainly you know, Shanghai, um, to, that, that could potentially be lost in China. Um, so the, the outlook is, isn't, isn't good. Um, the uh, Chinese nationalists had received some very good training from Germany of all places. Uh, both Weimar and Nazi Germany had trained uh, China's um, uh, Chinese troops, but the Chinese officer corps was um, still uh, in, in development. It wasn't anywhere near uh, big enough for the challenge that was coming. So today, once again, I'm looking at Rana Mitter's China's War with Japan, 1937-45, The Struggle for Survival. Um, and we're going to look at the incident at Wanping that begins the war. Wanping does not look like the sort of place, writes China, uh, writes uh, Rana Mitter, um, where destinies of nations are decided. Even today, it's in a remarkable village about 15 kilometres southwest of Beijing. Back in 1937, it was practically countryside. It does, however, have one impressive feature, a granite bridge decorated with the carved heads of nearly 500 stone lions, which drew the attention of Venetian traveller Marco Polo, who called it one of the finest bridges in the world. This endorsement gave it the name by which it is best known in the West, the Marco Polo Bridge. In China, it's known as Lugao Chao. Um, in, the se- in the summer of 1937, the area around Lugao Chao um, was ha- was heavily populated by rival troops. The Chinese 29th Army was under the command of local strongman Song Zhejuan. Um, also positioned uh, nearby were soldiers of the Japanese North China Garrison Army. The Japanese were allowed to deploy their military in the area because of the agreements made after the Boxer Rebellion of 1900 permitting foreign powers to station troops that would protect them against another uprising. This relationship uh, between the two sides was very uneasy, and Song himself was in a difficult position, caught between the government in Nanjing and the Japanese. Chang's government wanted Song to refuse to cede any further ground to Japan, 
but at the same time not to provoke a diplomatic incident, and Song needed to compromise with the Japanese to preserve his own base of power. So um, a lot of the military forces that Chiang Kai-shek relied on were um, ruled by or led by military warlords around China. A lot of the manpower that would fight the war was loaned to the nationalist government by warlords. And so Chiang had to be quite careful, Chiang Kai-shek had to be quite careful with how he dealt with the these warlords um, and had to always be kind of holding them together in a, a sort of a coalition. Um, and so um, he had to take into mind um, that often he, you know, if, if Chang didn't want Song to cede any territory, um, then he had to recognise that, that the position that the Chinese government, the, the nationalist government was in, was always one of asking. In July 1937, diplomats stationed in northern China sensed something in the air. Rumours have been current um, in, in, in Peiping during the past week uh, of possible disorders um, being created by disgruntled Chinese or Japanese nationals, wrote the, uh, the, uh, wrote, uh, wrote the councillor in the US Embassy. The rumours seem primarily due to the uneasiness which has developed among local Chinese as a result uh, of uh, Song's lengthening absence. The council's judgment that General Song, which is uh, what he meant, uh, was away from the base because he was trying to avoid the Japanese, who wanted to pressure him into allowing them to dominate more of northern China. On the evening of the 7th of July, Japanese troops started firing in the area around Wanping. This was not surprising itself, the foreign powers in northern China had been granted the right to carry out military manoeuvres when they chose, but this uh, time the Japanese went further. The local Japanese commander declared that one of his men had gone missing and demanded entry to Wanping to search for him. The accusation was clear, the Chinese must have kidnapped or killed him. Over the past few years, Japanese had become used to making demands of Chinese troops and their orders were generally obeyed, but this time Song's troops refused and low-level skirmishes broke out. So this was really, they refused really as a result of the encouragement of the nationalist government saying, you know, do not cede any territory. Um, it seemed likely that they would die down again. Many such clashes had dissipated before, usually after the Chinese had made some concession. However, in distant central China, Chiang Kai-shek decided this was time for a different sort of response. So after concession, after concession, after concession, the one ping incident actually offered Chiang Kai-shek the opportunity to stop conceding, to make uh, to to make a stand, to stand um, so that the the nationalist army and the nationalist army's proxies in the, the kind of the warlord militias um, could uh, actually begin a war that Chiang thought was probably necessary. Now here we're going to see some really revealing language by Chiang Kai-shek, uh, which kind of gives gives a view into his, his beliefs about. Um, China uh, and about nationhood and about how China should <clears throat> should develop in the face of this threat. Ranameter writes, when he heard news of the fighting near Beijing, Chang was not in Nanjing but at the resort of Guling uh, at Mount Lushan in Jiangxi province. Chang used Lushan as a country retreat, re retreat during the hot summer months and throughout the 1930s 
he invited his advisors there to plan for the future uh, for a future war with Japan. By the summer of 1937, this preparation had become urgent. China had uh, China has a responsibility to strengthen itself. He wrote in his diary. So here's the rhetoric. Only if we develop the psychology that having to fight is inevitable, may we perhaps avoid fighting. So. Chang, as a uh, part of the kind of the, the, the Kuomintang, this National Revolutionary Party, which seized power in uh, 1911, well, partially seized power in 1911, um, and uh, existed in this kind of uh, chaotic vacuum till about 1927. Um, and again, and, and never really had full control over the, the entirety of the country at, at any one time, really. Um, Chiang Kai-shek, like many nationalists, going all the way back to the sort of the, the Italian nationalists of the 19th century, saw his role as kind of forging not just a physical territory, you know, a physical territory of China, but really creating the people within it, creating a national spirit, uh, a sense of patriotism, a willing to fight, a willingness to fight and die for the the continuance of the of the nation. That was where Chang saw himself, um, saw saw his role. Chang was meeting with his military council when he heard of the news that Song's troops had clashed with the Japanese. The dwarf bandits, it was his kind of slightly racist term for the the Japanese, have attacked uh, at Lugao Chao. He um, uh, added in his diary using the derogatory term for the Japanese that the first emerged in the imperial era. This was this is a time for determ- uh, for the determination to fight. In his diary, Chang also reflected on the meaning of the fighting at the Marco Polo Bridge. Is there going to be trouble for Song Zhishuan? Are the Japanese trying to bring about independence for North China? He then added, pensively, more pensively still, is this the time to accept the challenge? So is this the moment that the, that the war finally begins uh, after concession after concession? At first, three of Song's senior officers cabled Nanjing, telling China that they could not comply with Japanese demands to withdraw from the bridge because of the consequences for national sovereignty. However, despite a show of defiance, the Chinese and Japanese local commanders at Wanping began to discuss a ceasefire. It seemed possible that the Marco Polo bridge skirmish would be resolved quickly. Chang was confronted with a fateful question. Was the two-day struggle really just a minor skirmish like so many before, or did it herald the start of another major Japanese assault on Chinese territory like the Manchurian crisis of 1931? If he decided that it was the former, intentions would quickly cool. After all, North China was not really under nationalist control, but dominated by a patchwork of regimes run by Chang's Chinese rivals and the Japanese military. By letting the fighting go, Chang would not be immediately worse off. But if he decided the incident was more serious, a push by Japan to invade and occupy yet more of northern China leaving the nationalist heartland in central China vulnerable, then Chang had a grave decision to make, whether or not to declare war. The choice was not entirely Chang's. Indeed, since the occupation of Manchuria, his options had been narrowing. As he received news in Lushan, he had to weigh up a complex range of factors, domestic and international, confronting him that hot July. First, and most immediately, it seemed like any compromise settlement would involve his government formally ceding control of the former capital. 
This was not like giving up Manchuria. The establishment of Manchukuo, which was the Japanese puppet state of Manchuria, had been a huge blow to Chinese, uh, China's prestige, but not a disaster. China had all but recognised the Japanese clan state by 1931. Beijing, or Beijing, was a different matter. Under its former name of Beijing, the city had been a national capital for centuries. Although its political importance had waned, it was still a place of immense cultural and emotional significance for the Chinese. So if, the Chi if Chang um, agreed to de-escalate at the Marco Polo Bridge, what that would mean was that the, the Japanese would force Chinese troops to withdraw from the area. If they control that, then uh, their route through to controlling Beijing itself is uh, clear uh, and they can cut off any relief mission, any relief forces to the capital. And so you, you've effectively surrendered the capital if you lose the bridge um, uh, and the surrounding area. Although its political importance had waned, it was still a place of immense cultural and emotional significance to many Chinese. The city had also, uh, also had a strategic importance. It was the major rail interchange for northern China, connecting the north of China to the inland commercial city of Wuhan and allowing rail traffic to uh, travel in all four directions of the compass. Previously, we've talked about the Paris Peace Conference and Japan's role there and the uh, interest that Paris, uh, that, uh, at Paris that the Japanese had over controlling the Shandong Peninsula. Look at it on a map, see how close the Shandong Peninsula is to Beijing. Uh, and again, the Shandong Peninsula was a, a network of railways that um, connected to Beijing and Beijing is another rail hub. You control those sorts of things and you can shut down northern China. This is obviously in the age uh, before uh, road, uh, you know, mass road travel, where railways are much, much more important at this point. Much, much more important. So, Rana Meta writes, If Beijing fell under Japanese control, then an order from Tokyo could send thousands of troops from Korea and Manchukuo into the heart of the mainland. If Chang surrendered the city, he would cede North China for a generation and put the nationalist heartland in great danger. Chang recognised this in his diary on the 10th of July. This is the turning point for the existence or obliteration. Perhaps the coasts would have been occupied. I mean, so here we go into kind of counterfactual territory, um, colonised and assimilated by Japan with a maybe a kind of an interior of China is a kind of a rump colony. Uh, but this is the, the ultimate uh, complete colonization of China. Uh, and Chang was astute enough to see the significance of the bridge. If it were just Beijing, that would be one thing. But China feared that the city would be just one more conquest in an ever lengthening list of Japanese provocations in China. Ever since 1931, the journalist Du Zhonghuan, um, as noted earlier, imprisoned for publishing anti-Japanese rhetoric in 1935, and his fellow exiles from occupied Manchuria had used their power in the press to argue that Chang should be more active and launch a military campaign to recapture the Northeast. Despite the, the, the rhetoric of 30 million compatriots under the iron hooves of the Japanese imperialism, Chang had not changed his position on resistance. Although the Chinese public felt sympathy, Manchuria was simply too distant to rouse the sentiments of the wider population for an all-out war. Then, between 1933 and 1935, 
It seemed possible that Japan would be content with its gains so far, and that nationalist China could live, at least for a while, with Manchu Kuo on its borders. It's, it's very interesting from the point of exploring uh, Chinese nationalism at the time. The idea that Manchu Kuo is seen, uh, or Manchuria, is seen by many Chinese as, well, you know, over there, uh, almost like a different country. Um, you know, a thing that's far away from us, not a place that is inherently Chinese and full of Chinese people. Japanese, uh, from 1935, Japanese influence um, in northern China had grown. And it had become clear that they regarded the entire region, not just Manchu uh, Manchuria or Manchukuo, but the entire region as their own territory. Chang was increasingly convinced that Japan would not rest until all China was a client state. If he did not confront them now, then the moment would surely have to come soon. And of course, the military thinking is, if you don't confront them now, the next time you confront them, you're in a weaker position. The influential Chinese paper, Shen Bao, had published an editorial on the 9th of July, starkly entitled, Yet Another Invasion, and warning, this act is clearly a planned invasion action by the Japanese. This act is a, uh, of a truly serious nature and should shock the world. Yet challenging Japan would be a very a highly risky venture, possibly a suicidal one. Chang could expect very little support from the wider world and that the year 1937 was a grim one around the globe. In Europe, the political momentum appeared to be won by, with the dictatorships. Hitler's Nazi party had recreated Germany as a strong tyranny instead of a weak Weimar democracy that had collapsed in 1933. Mussolini's Italy likewise seemed orderly and powerful. Many observers ignored the violence and racism that underpinned these regimes to draw the conclusion uh, that authoritarian government was the way of the future. And you know, if you look at commentators in uh, Great Britain and France who looked at Germany, even and these, even sort of people on the the political uh, centre right looked at Germany and thought, well, you know, that's that's kind of how these things are going to go and whether we have that here is a moot point, but, you know, uh, th this is the future. The future is determined by strong men who, well, they seem to get things done, you know. There, there is, let's, let's not write them off completely. So some fairly sympathetic editorials to them, uh, though obviously a, a huge, huge number of uh, press articles in uh, Britain that were very critical of Nazism. In the USSR, writes Ranamita, Stalin's regime had turned its rage inward and the country had been devastated by, with this, by a series of purges against its own elites, leading to the execution or exile of millions of citizens from top military leaders to ordinary school teachers. Although most of Europe re remained in a sullen peace, the world was also riveted by the Spanish Civil War in which the Republican forces of the elected government were battling the nationalist forces of General Franco. The Republicans relied on minimal assistance from the USSR, while Nazi Germany and fascist Italy provided support for Franco. On the sidelines were the democracies, Britain and France, and Chang could see clearly that they would be offering no help. Spain had already learned that the United States was in no mood for international intervention. Franklin Roosevelt had been re-elected president just a few months earlier, but had spent much of early 1937 engaging in a wounding and unsuccessful struggle to give him greater powers to challenge the composition of the US Supreme Court, while the Depression continued to haunt American life. 
To return to a war in Europe would be unpopular. To enter a conflict in China was close to unthinkable. So if Chiang wanted to fight back against Japan, he would have to do it on his own. He would uh, also need to calculate how long China could last alone in a war against Japan. Chang's hopes lay with his best troops, cabling his son, Qing Kuo. Chang told him not to worry about an invasion from Japan because he had the means to counter them. Chang was referring to the troops trained by General Siegton von Falkenhausen, his two German military advisers. It was certainly true that improvements had been made. However, Chang's cable was laced with bravado. The reforms needed much longer to bed in, and, by, uh, and the number of officers who had gone through training was still very small, only 30,000 in number. Um, there, are, there are some kind of interesting parallels in terms of the, the kind of the, the race for military preparedness that we see today in uh, the, the struggle in U- Ukraine. Um, the problem that Chang had is that the problem that um, every commentator seemed to be able to identify during the 1930s in that kind of one international pre-war system had collapsed um, the, 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 the world before the First World War the world that was generally dominated by the, uh, the, the British Empire and a second functioning world order had yet to emerge. Some might argue that it is, is, has never emerged. Um, but in that time, during the, in the period uh, of the 1930s, you have these challenger states um, looking to uh, subvert the, um, the, the sh- very, very shaky international order. And no one power particularly uh, politically or economically or militarily able to step up and defend um, the rules-based system that was established in Paris in in 1919. And this is something that immensely empowers Japan, gives Japan an an immense deal of, um, uh, of leeway. And Japan looked upon its actions in China and thought that this was not the concern of Europeans and not the concern of the international community. This was Japan asserting its rights to its its own sphere of influence, or to establish its own sphere of, uh, of, of colonial influence in China. And that in time, the Chinese, like kind of children in the eyes of um, the um, Japanese, um, would be sort of educated uh, in in the um, uh, in in the, in the ways of kind of Japanese mo- modernity. Anyway, I'll be continuing this a little bit later on, so I'm going to try and do a two parter today. Um, and uh, I hope you find this useful. Do stay tuned for the second part, and you can check us out on explaininghistory.org. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye bye.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.